Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Butler Running Show. Show for runners and soon-to-be runners from around the world as we talk all things running. The Butler Running Show is hosted by a couple on the run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien, and proudly brought to you by PartnerRunning.com and the Partner Runner Magazine. And now, on with the show. Well, welcome to the Partner Running Show on this 17th or 16th of February 2015, no matter where you might be in the world. Uh, I'm Andrew O'Brien, and I'm here in the Partner Running Studio with my wonderful co-host, Sue. How are you going, Sue? I'm going very well. So today on the show, uh, we're sort of still in our catch-up mode after missing uh, a couple of weeks with uh, a few challenges and things, and today we're going to be doing our review of the Hong Kong 100, uh, one of the one of our running highlights of all time, I, I think it's fair to say. Yes, I, I think you could classify it up there with uh, one of those events that linger in, in your memory for, if not the whole of your life, for many, many, many years to come, so... Yes, definitely sitting in my top couple of events that, that we've ever done, and, and I was a bit surprised by that. I wasn't expecting it to be uh, quite that memorable. Uh, I thought it would be great, don't get mm. me wrong, but I, but I wasn't expecting it to go up to the very, very top of uh, our running uh, experience. Yeah, I was just going to say, and it is one of those events that it, it is super, super tough, and it's uh, when you asked me when we crossed the line, oh, how are you feeling, and would you come back again? I was like, oh, this was really tough. Oh, but... You know, how many days did it take? Yeah, I think it was three days before three you... Three days, and I was saying, bring me back next year! It was kind of funny, because it's it sort of out of the blue. I had, I think I'd asked you the next day, so would you do it again? And you said, oh, I'm thinking about it. And then on, oh, we were walking down the street three days later, and then in the middle of nowhere, you sort of said, the answer is yes. Yes. And I'd, I'd forgotten what the question was. <laughs> but it was, it was interesting that it did take you that sort of... Yeah. ...couple just... of days to go, yeah, I, could, I wouldn't mind buttering up again. Mm, uh, which is itself I suppose one of the things that a lot of runners do do is that when they initially cross the line they think oh that's it I've done my one and only marathon or I've done my one and only half marathon but then a couple of days later it's like I think I could do this better or I think I could get more out of it by doing another one and uh, this was exactly the case with me. So maybe it's a sign of a good race. Is mm. it, uh, or, or an extra good race or, or, or a race that's pushed you maybe out of your out of your zone is that the um, thought about will I do it again takes a bit of time so you know if you're used to running 10k's and you run a 10k and it's okay yep when's the next one it's kind of an automatic thing but if you do something extra tough that, that pushes you maybe then it's like oh mm-hmm. I need to think a little bit about whether I'm coming back for that one and yeah. kind of delayed uh, return to it and I think with marathoners, that's very much the case, that it's it's sort of a lot of people's bucket list, I'm going to do one. And uh, I'd say more often than not, you get someone coming back for a return or a multiple return or whatever it is. Yeah, and I think but after you've done a few, you know, after you've done, I don't know, five or ten, fifteen marathons or something, then it's like you just keep coming back to them. And the yeah. question of, you know, oh, will I ever do that again? Is like it's, you don't even ask the question. Of course, you're going to do it again. Um, it's a question: Will I do this exact one, or will I do another one? Whereas with this you know, Hong Kong race for you, particularly, it was like, oh, you know, it took a lot out. Mm. Um, will I? And it, and it took a few days before you sort of the body started to go. Yep, 
I want to do it again. Maybe some people back away from the challenge as well, that that was too much rather than take on the challenge of trying to push themselves. But, yeah, yeah interesting. I, I think it's all relative too. And I suppose if you take on one of those mega events and you end up with some sort of super, 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 super serious injury, then the idea of, well, you know, 100K is not for me, I'm going to be a 50K person or I'm going to be a 10K or whatever it might be. So it's not always a case of sometimes it is just like, yeah, no, well, just never again, it. Yeah. didn't enjoy it, didn't, you know, been there, done that, don't don't have the urge to come back and do that one, I want to go and do something different. So, so like with, with all things, uh, there's no right or wrong, but is, it was interesting that it did take you a few days. And so we're going to talk uh, about the all aspects of the Hong Kong 100. extra special uh, event. So we better get moving because we want to spend our time talking about uh, the Hong Kong 100, uh, but we've got our um, couple of regular segments to get through before we get there. Over the shoulder, a quick review of last weekend's running. Well, I think the, the marathon that captured people's attention over the weekend was uh, the finish of the Austin Marathon in Texas. Um, not so much because of the winners and the times, but because of the third place female, um, Hivon Nigic from Kenya. Uh, lots of photos, lots of footage on news all over the US, um, crawling the last mile of this marathon uh, to the cheers from the cheers of the crowd trying to urge her on the medical staff that walked along beside her but of course couldn't uh, touch her or offer assistance otherwise she would have been disqualified um, again you sort of wonder about what this takes out of people the damage that it's potentially going to cause however she did cross the line um, there were interviews with her the day after no ill effects or seemingly no damage to her um, and actually officials adjusted the prize money she was passed by the second place runner so she was coming second uh, until a meter or so before the finish where the second place runner ran past her and officials adjusted the prize money to give her the same amount as if she'd come second so just a one of those things they said captured the spirit of the marathon and the tenacity of the individual to overcome uh, hardship and uh, get to the line so well they probably figured also it was uh, going to be a next um, a super duper story for them to promote their event their event next year <laughs> so because it was on lots of different news wires uh, that is in one part of the US but in the northeast snow continues to well confound runners give them all sorts of problems as well as other, uh, of course, existence and working people and just going about daily life. Um, so lots of runners starting to get concerned about their Boston training because Boston is not that far away. And uh, that means also that they're having to go to indoor tracks, that they're going to have to go to treadmills. Um, some people are even planning weekend trips west for a long weekend to try and get some running in um, as they lead up to Boston because it's it's pretty horrendous over there. Like, and maybe with airports closed, they can't get out. But uh, races are being cancelled over the last weekend. Uh, Valentine, quite a few Valentine's Day races ended up getting cancelled. Um, some marathons were postponed if possible. So it's a, a real consideration. I mean, we're inclined to sort of not quite really understand what the snow means for a lot of runners in that part of the world. Um, 
another little interesting snippet. Uh, Bianca Ramirez, age 12, um, from California, will complete seven marathons in seven continents in Antarctica, or did complete over the weekend. And she goes into the Guinness Book of Records as being the first girl to run this uh, phenomenon of the seven marathons in seven continents and at age 12. She's run quite a few marathons before, and it's something that she loves doing, and through her uh, 10s and 11s, built up with that distance. Again, don't know about 12-year-olds, there's a lot of medical evidence to suggest that that is sort of a dangerous age to be doing a lot of running, however. Uh, the family of a Bibi Bikila, the world-famous and world-renowned uh, barefoot runner of the Rome 1960 Olympics marathon, uh, where he took off his running shoes halfway because they were causing him blisters and ran in bare feet to win that event. Um, his family are suing Vibram for using his name without the family's permission. So they have a, a model called the Bikila, and it, they're just stressing that they were not consulted, that they have no um, financial gain from the use of his name, and they're suing for, I think it's the amount of $15 million, uh, which in the, the light of Vibram, I'm not sure whether that's a large amount or a small amount. Um, and world record set by Florence Kiplagat in the half marathon distance in Barcelona on the weekend, 65 minutes and nine seconds, taking three seconds off her previous world record that she set at the same event last year. Uh, another big marathon on the weekend, Kyoto, and we had Jane and runner Mike out there pounding the pavements with thousands and thousands of other runners, quite a few internationals, but predominantly a, a Japanese local event, and very cold conditions in that part of the world, commented by both runner Mike and Jane. Wow, it was freezing, but spectacular nonetheless. Um, so that's some of my running news, but we had another new, another little tidbit of news about some of the drug testing. It's interesting that the um, the marathon majors, uh, London, New York, Boston, Chicago, Tokyo, and Berlin, have got together to fund increased out of competition testing uh, for elite runners, and this is in response to um, being caught, yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's suggesting that Russia and Kenya have a significant problem. This, this is where it leads. And I was I was staggered in this article. I actually used the word uh, named that there's a, a staggering, as they say, 58 Russians and 25 Kenyans, three London um, 2012 champions and scores of gold medalists from other Olympic and major championships as well as current and former world record holders um, have suspicious yes. life values yeah um, and this this is a, a UK source who says that um, what, what's happening is they've got all these suspicious blood values through the data that was has been collected pointing the finger at these people uh, three Britons including a major star amongst them so mm. it um, starting to look like it, it might have been a lot more widespread than we believe. So and Bridget Jepto is just the tip of the iceberg that they've managed to catch one. Those of us who thought that maybe um, running endurance athletes didn't get any benefit or weren't doing it, well, you know, didn't weren't getting a benefit, didn't get a benefit, so therefore weren't doing it. 
maybe that is not the case. Yeah, so it'd be interesting to see what they actually announce. This is leading up to Tokyo, of course, next weekend. Um, big announcement on Thursday about how they're going to do this systematic uh, out of competition testing. Clearly, I mean, they test at the events, but it's the out of competition testing seemingly that they need to yes. really pick up on. Yes. That's where they're going to catch those that are using various forms. A lot more than uh, Coca-Cola being used, potentially. Yes. Okay. On that note, we uh, better keep on moving. Ask Sue. Do you have a question you'd like answered? Why not send us a message, a tweet, or post your question on the Partner Running Facebook page. Take it away, Sue. This week's Ask Sue arises from a conversation amongst uh, a few group fitness spinners after an indoor cycling class. And we were discussing how running fitness translates across to other sports and vice versa. So if you're good at one sport, does that lead you to be a good runner? Running is a specialised sport. Um, the body only moves in one direction. We go forward. We don't move sideways. So it doesn't actually prepare your body for other types of movements. So we're not very good going laterally from side to side or up and down, touching the ground, lifting our bodies up. But it does build our engine, so as to speak, our cardiovascular system, our heart and lungs uh, are very advanced compared with a lot of different sports. And that's why most professional athletes all have bases of running for all different sports. So, for example, basketball. We may not, as runners, have the skills, but if we've got a little bit of skill, we might often be much fitter and be able to endure longer playing the game than someone that doesn't have that running base and ends up huffing and puffing and not being able to run up and down the court. So endurance becomes a big help for a lot of different sports. Same with something like cricket. Um, sure, you need to have the skills to bat, but you also need to have the skills to keep running between the wickets if you're in there for a long innings um, and to keep mentally alert as you play as well. Interestingly, studies have found that cyclists could improve their time trial performance by just decreasing their cycling for a while and increasing high intensity running. So clearly running and building that cardiovascular engine does have a lot of benefits for other sports. Because running is the activity that most increases our VO2 max or the efficiency of our heart-lung systems in producing energy. And this increase of VO2 max increases our endurance, our heart stroke volume, and that basically means that our heart is able to pump more efficiently oxygen and air throughout our bodies. Running uses the large muscle groups, which therefore puts a stress on cardiac output, increases your efficiency, etc. But running, uh, running is one of those also isolated exercises that we are upright. So if you compare something like swimming or rowing, and you can be very, very fit at swimming, like super cardiovascularly fit, and rowing the same, um, have just an amazing VO2 max, you won't necessarily be a good runner because of 
the muscles that you're using and also because of the position that you work your sport in. So obviously swimming, you're horizontal, and rowing, you're seated. But running translates better to other sports. So for example, if you are a cyclist, it's not going to translate across as well to running as if you're a runner that takes up cycling. So runners can actually train by developing the skills to become good cyclists, good triathletes, even good cross-country skiers. Not saying that running is the most wonderful sport in the world that translates across because runners often develop poor lateral strength. We don't move very well side to side. And we have potentially a lot of people have quite weak hips and weak upper body strength because they do all their sport with their legs. And also our hamstrings tend to compensate and we develop weak muscles even within the legs of uh, weak glutes and sometimes weak shin muscles um, that translates across. So what can runners do to improve those areas? Well, we often recommend doing some cross training just to break up your run training and not putting as much work on the muscles of your legs or the joints but the actual sports themselves can help build our overall body strength so for instance if you play tennis as an alternate cross cross training sport you can develop great lateral strength by the way you move side to side as you hit the ball and also build up the gluteal strength um, with the deep knee bends that you have to have as you play your shots. Something like inline skating or even any form of skating is going to help with hip strength and stability. And then cycling, which we've mentioned a couple of times, can develop the quad strength and help even up the overuse in hamstrings that a lot of runners get. So we can become better runners by playing other sports and developing our economy of action. So with this discussion about, well, does running translate across to other sports and do other sports translate across to running, running tends to translate better across to other sports as a way of being fit or getting your fitness up or being better at a lot of sports rather than vice versa, that being a good swimmer, being a good cyclist doesn't necessarily translate across to being a good runner but being a good runner predisposes you to become a good cyclist um, and take up other sports and have a great fitness base um, so whilst they're not necessarily transferable it's probably easier to teach a runner to be a better sport person in another sport discipline than it is to teach another sports person to become a good runner. That was the Ask Sue segment of the Partner Running Show. If you have a question for Sue, please post it on the Partner Running Facebook page or email us at radio at partnerrunning.com. Well, our feature topic today is our review of the or the Vibram Hong Kong 100, which uh, we participated in a couple of weeks ago on the 17th of January, of course, mm. in Hong Kong, part of the World Ultra Trail Series, and a magnificent event it was. It certainly was. The 
the scenery of the race itself and I think the organisation and uh, all of that that goes with putting on a fabulous event this is something that sets this race apart from a lot of other races we've participated in. Yes, yeah, so I suppose we wind the clock back a little bit um, and, and I suppose we, we should say uh, at the outset that we're talking about the experience that we had for the 2015 race yes. and so the website is where you, you really want to go to um, let's find out more, keep up to date and, and the point that I think I was, I was heading towards is that things change a bit so when we talk about signing up in October and um, getting notified and all those sorts of things and the, and the ballot that we went through um, that isn't necessarily the way it's going to happen for next year so you need to just be um, focusing in on the, the, uh, the website which is uh, www.hk100-ultra.com uh, you can also find them on Facebook easy to find and you basically if you just Google or put it to anywhere uh, Hong Kong 100 Trail it's going to come up and it's uh, uh, about third weekend in January so that's that's kind of the I suppose the, the disclaimer or the warning so mm -hmm. don't don't take what our experience was for this year to be 100% of what it's going to be next year because it might move by a week uh, it might this year there was a sort of a two-stage entry process you went in registered your interest and then there was a ballot and then you had to pay up and, and get in and so um, I know that they're always looking to improve the event so if there's a better way of doing the entry or maybe they're going to do it a bit earlier whatever it might be then you need to keep track of the website for that sort of thing. Definitely and I mean one thing's for sure the popularity of this event is growing year by year so if you are vaguely interested really keep your eyes open around that October period for when entries do so that you are on board and ready to participate. Yes so maybe some um, so some, some facts and figures before we, we get too too far into it. In the 2015 edition of the Vibram Hong Kong 100, there was 1,822 people signed up, which was an increase from the 1648 who signed up in 2014. Uh, 1,659 finished, and last year, oh, the, no, sorry, the year before, in 2014, it was only uh, 1,000, only I say, 1,498 that finished. So some increasing numbers, uh, sorry, started. Um, 1,659 started uh, in 2015, 1,498 started in 2014. And in terms of finishing, in 2015, there was 1,318 people, or 79.5% made it for the 100 kilometres. Uh, the year prior, it was 77.4 um, finished percentage, so slight improvement. Yes, yeah, just, just below the 80 percent of people make it through the 100k, and it's a 30. This year was a 30-hour cutoff. So a shorter cutoff than the prior year, which had been 32. So a little bit more pressure, perhaps, on some runners. Um, now, as we said, it's 100k, and I think we we on our um, uh, Sunto watch we. We uh, showed about 4,700, I think, was our total uh, ascent. Um, so again, I suppose everyone's can be slightly bit different, but it's it's up there around the just under the 5,000 ascent. So not to be sneezed at. It's, no. um, uh, it's a it's a it's, it's a, an ultra trail event. And it's a it, yes, it is. A, it's a, it's a, not not really for beginners, I don't think. No, I don't think so. 
Um, in terms of the, um, as you would guess, I suppose, the 341 uh, didn't make it, 20.5%, um, down a little bit from the previous year. Uh, now, they also have, as one of the exciting parts of the, of the event, they have uh, a gold uh, trophy that you get, silver, a bronze, and then they have medals. And so gold is for people who go under 16 hours. Um, and in 2015, that was 188 people, or 11.3% or of the field, slightly down on the previous year. Under 20 hours, um, there was 236 people, 14.2%, considerably down as a percentage from the mm. previous year, or it was 22.6%. Uh, lots more bronzes this year, 620, or 37.4%, up from 257 and in terms of medals, people are finishing it. There was then another 16.6 or 276 people, a bit up on the previous year, which uh, is a percentage of the field. So uh, all up, 600 volunteers and people from 51 different countries. Yes, and we definitely uh, did see a few other Aussies out on the course, and as well as people, a lot of expats perhaps too from fairly local Asian countries that put down their nations of Portugal and the UK that were actually probably closer to home by living in Hong Kong or Singapore. But regardless, that was their origin and they count as people from different countries. Of course, the pointy end of the field. Yes. So we probably let's let's get the, uh, the who did what out of the way and then we can get in and talk about just how wonderful the whole event was and it truly was wonderful. Um, in terms of the, the men in a time from, from China, in a time of nine hours, uh, 52 minutes and 42, was Yen Long Fei. Yes, I think that's not too bad, that pronunciation <laughs> of that, from China. And uh, and then sort of the, the nearest person to him was uh, Sondre Andal from Norway in nine hours, 59. So not too far away, only, really. Only, only seven yeah. minutes behind in, in, a, in a race like this. That's, that's mm, so close. pretty close racing, I think. So a bit of a mixture of uh, where people came from. We had a couple of... Uh, Fourth, third and fourth were from France, fifth was from Spain, sixth from Australia, seven from Japan, eight from Nepal, nine from Hong Kong, and ten from Japan. So mm. a bit of a mix. Uh, then in the women's, uh, in the time of 12 hours, 24.56 from Hong Kong. Would you like me to pronounce this one? Uh, you, you betcha. I'll give it a try. Yan Chow Pui Yan, who is uh, local, and I think that was pretty exciting for them to yep. have a local win the event. Uh, 12, 24, 56, as I said, and, and she um, was uh, not that far ahead, but comfortably ahead of Dong Li from China, who was in 12, 39, 54. So we had that 15-minute kind of thing, about twice the, the victory of the men in terms of distance. And again, in, as we look through the top 10 of the women, we had uh, the first year, Hong Kong and China. We then had someone from Italy, New Zealand, Hong Kong, Canada, Hong Kong, United Kingdom, France, and Spain. So again, one of the things I think we've come up a bit as we sort of talk about this uh, wonderful event is the international flavour and just looking at the where the people came in the top ten gives mm. you some insights into that. Exactly and uh, as being part of that ultra trail series gives it so much more cachet and reason for international people to travel to sort of collect the races in the series too. So if we go Back to, I suppose, the start, in that um, for a number of years, I suppose, we've been keen to do an international trail race at the Zilk and, and have heard mm. great things. And, and it was probably uh, six or eight months ago we were having a chat with Andy Hewitt, who's been a guest on the Partner Running Show before, Andy, well known as the director of um, the Great Ocean 
walk 100 and also Bogong to Hotham, amongst other things. Um, and Nandy was telling us about the Hong Kong 100 and what a wonderful event it is. And so, the, as we mentioned earlier, a sort of a two-stage entry system opening up in, uh, I can't remember the exact date, but it was September, October there. Yeah. Um, you, for a small donation to charity, you go into the ballot and then they had certain you know, conditions. I think it was like eight people from each country was like the first quota and then uh, went on from there. Uh, we were fortunate enough to get the email saying we'd made it through the first bit and we had to pay within, I think you had about a week to mm. pay. Yeah, it was a fair amount of time to, to either change your mind or and, clarify. And then, so the next thing you know, we're in. So um, nice to then be able to start planning. Uh, and for us, about a, uh, about a nine-hour flight from home to Hong Kong. And our plan was, uh, with the race being on Saturday morning for 30 hours, uh, starting at 8 a.m. on Saturday, uh, that we would travel in and arrive in Hong Kong on the Thursday. And one, again, one of the parts of the, that makes this race quite exciting for, um, well, hopefully for locals, but certainly for out-of-town international people, is the whole registration and starting to interact with the other runners. And so there was a, a quite a, a lengthy period of time in which locals could pick up their race stumbles yeah. and, and kids uh, and for us best time to do it was pl- plenty of time on the Friday before and and that was um, over on Hong Kong Island at the Racing, Racing the Planet, Planet store mm-hmm. yeah which look at it, I think arriving for a race of this length and with the amount of equipment and preparation that you actually need to be at there on the day I don't think you'd want to arrive any later if you've got a long flight across or a fairly medium-sized flight even, getting in Thursday late afternoon, early evening and then having all day Friday to reassess, did everything arrive in the condition I wanted it to, do I need to buy anything, um, recover from the flight itself, I don't think you'd want to get there on the Friday and race to Saturday for instance, I think you'd really be pushing it, you're trying to get yourself onto the start line. Yes, but but again uh, one of the things they do which I think is particularly runner friendly and, and I think was used by people that were coming from sort of nearby Asian countries where you could pick up your race number on race morning. So mm. I saw, saw a number of people there who had arrived, they obviously knew what they were doing, picked up their, their number early and dropped off their two drop bags and away you go. So sure, I just think more of the long t- long haul flight. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but just to, to make the point, because I think well, some of the local people did get in, uh, you know, yeah. a friend of yours, Karen, who was off on business somewhere and didn't, didn't arrive back in town until... Late, late, night late before, Friday night, so. yes. So that option was there. Um, so the registration, aside from being quick and well organised from a, a Hong Kong 100 perspective, um, the store where it was held was like a bit of a, an ultra runner's uh, dream destination with uh, everything from... Well, start at the toes. You could start at the toes and say socks, shoes, all the way up to... Packs. Packs, beanies, clothes, things to go in your mouth on the outside of your body all that sort of stuff and we, we actually picked up a, a really good book on um, how to care for your feet which mm. was uh, one of the people that uh, when we interviewed uh, Rebecca about the Hong, uh, the uh, Anzac Ultra a couple of months ago she'd mentioned uh, John von Hoss book yes yeah. and we picked mm. up that book there which was kind of nice to find that on the shelf so that was uh, an easy place to find well served by the the MTR so we just we stayed over in the Kowloon side we were easy train not too much walking and uh, easy to find um, quick and efficient registration scheme, and of course a bit of time to shop and look around, and then out of there. Um, so that was that was really the the rego and arrival process, and um, 
said, we were staying over on the Kowloon side. Lots of options for food through the thing. We we partook in a bit of a Western-style pasta uh, restaurant, but no matter what you wanted, the Hong Kong is always a wonderful place for dining. Yep, no problems with rice, noodles, pasta. It's all there for you. Absolutely. So that was, uh, I suppose, getting set up. It was then um, a number of ways to get to the start. Um, I think the two dominant ways seem to be um, taxis and getting dropped off uh, for a lot of the local people. And then there was also a system put on by one of the travel companies where they ran coaches from, I think, about four or five different locations around Hong Kong. And so we booked in there. It was very, very well priced. I think it was about $80 Hong Kong, a good deal. And we... Um, could walk to the start very easily, very the, comfortable. Walked from our hotel to one of the other hotels, got yeah. on the coach, uh, well organised, got us out there in plenty of time. And um, we arrived sort of still dark, plenty of time to check in our two bags. You had two, two uh, drop-off uh, checkpoint bags, one for the 50k and one for the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of your race kit, the two bags to use. So we did all that, had plenty of time to drop them off, uh, had a bit of a look around and waited for the sun to come up and the race to start. And it was uh, headed off at 8 o'clock. Uh, interesting for us, we were, uh, to note, um, we are kind of expecting and used to for a field that big uh, to have the full road closure. Yes. And of course, it happened, but only happened at the very last minute. So we weren't quite sure what was going on, but it all worked out fine. Uh, probably a bit of a tip for the future is that not everybody went maybe in their best of locations in terms of their speed. So there was a bit of a jam at the start, but... Yeah, I think the gantry is one of those things they'll look at and say, you know what, with this many runners, we need to have a bigger gantry or organise it slightly differently. But look, you know, geez, maybe some corrals or something. But um, yeah, Janet and Steve, the the co-race directors, sort of uh, did a bit of a briefing, um, pointed out sponsors and thank people, and did all those kinds of things, which just really added to it, built the whole sort of community atmosphere of it. Lots of people doing little group photos. There was sort of running teams and travel groups. Uh, and this really was, I think, of all of the events that we've done, probably the one that had the most international feel. Yes, and groups of people, like you mentioned, um, travel groups or run groups, but also country groups. There were quite a few little subgroups of where the Taiwanese runners or where the Malaysian runners posing for photos. And that's it's really exciting. It did just build that international atmosphere. Yeah, I think um, you know, having done quite a lot of races in the US and Europe, it's often it isn't their international field, but you're like overwhelmingly dominated by you know Americans and Canadians, or you're dominated you know in the in the UK by by Brits, and, and you know if you're in um, you know, Switzerland or France or somewhere, um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of yeah there's yeah. a lot of lot of people there um, you know speaking French or German or Italian or, or whatever it might be, but in this context you know, you, you had all of that mm. plus you had you know, all the, you know, the Chinese people, Japanese people, uh, the Malaysians, the Singapore, uh, the whole international flavour thrown in then with you know, the Australians and the, the New Zealand and, and lots of expats. So yeah. people from all around the world who, you know, where are you from? Oh, well, I actually, I'm living in Hong Kong and I'm working in Hong Kong, but I come from somewhere else. So yeah. it really had a wonderful international view. So that was off and running? Off and running, just as the, the light was uh, getting stronger. And heading down a road, which was a bit of a, a start, thinking, oh, okay. So a little bit of uh, bitumen to get, get us started as we headed out. And 
then pretty soon to heading into the trail though and, and straight up the side of quite a, a steep climb to get us get us moving into the feeling of being a trail and I suppose that's one of the, the things that when we were saying about people not perhaps queuing in their correct fitness level or estimated time finish uh, we had a bit of bottleneck in the first few kilometres. Yeah, probably the only real criticism mm. of the whole event um, and the, and probably the, the one single thing that, that could could stand some improvement in terms of the way, probably it's the way the start's handled in that you, you've run for a K or two and then you hit a single track and when you've got 1,600 runners heading onto a single track, boom. So there was, uh, I think we were something like 35 minutes for the first 3K. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of that was standing still, walking through that trail. But once it once it moved beyond that, it opened out pretty good. Yeah. So yeah. that was that was a little bit of a hiccup. And then of course we sort of got through that first trail section. Um, you know, the advantage in, in that was meeting people and seeing you know, and learning mm. from people around the world. That's sort the of thing. And then we hit the one end of uh, the High Island Reservoir, and this was some absolutely stunning views as we as we ran on road beside the reservoir um, all the way around to I think it was about the 10k mark where the first unofficial check not unofficial checkpoint it was it was like checkpoint half yes <laughs> it's like an aid station before we got to the official the checkpoint official one checkpoint, yeah. um, couldn't really tell the difference it seemed to have all, all of the, the food and drinks and, and the food and drink and refreshments for runners um, just an absolutely amazing assortment of anything that you could think of, I'm uh, sure whether they had the hot noodles at that stage in the proceedings, but you know, sandwiches, cakes, uh, fruit as well, uh, lollies, biscuits, chocolates, you know, just astounding and the variety of drinks from hot coffees and soups all the way through to Coca-Cola, electrolyte drinks, pretty much everything you could think of. And well, I think one of the things, aside with the scenery here, as you went around the High Island Reservoir, at the end you, you basically came across a, a, a bridge as sort of an embankment between the reservoir and the ocean and so mm-hmm. on one side you could look back stunning views of the reservoir and then out to uh, the right hand side as you're running views out over the ocean so quite spectacular it was a bit of a sign of things to come for a fair bit of all if not all of the first half of the first 50k where you know, we spent that we spent the next 40k of the first 50 basically going up and down um, down into these little uh, beaches and villages. In some cases, a little bit of trail or a little bit of sand running. Nothing arduous. Nothing to be no, concerned nothing, about. No, nothing. Nothing arduous in um, terms of sand running. And as we'd come down, magnificent views, and then back up. And so the, the trail, I think, was a bit of a mix of some easy running gravel, uh, some some concrete pathways, some concrete stairs, and some good old-fashioned uh, rock and and uh, tough. Yeah. I think it was a bit deceptive with that first half looking at the profile map thinking all the big stuff later that even those small undulations being quite sharp with the gradients were pretty hard work on your legs so I think it can be deceptive sometimes looking at a profile map particularly this one that it looks like it's pretty flat compared with the second section and maybe it is with the elevation but uh, your legs are working hard in those up and downs very quick. The, the gradient is um, quite noticeable as you're trying to negotiate them, that's for sure. So about every 10K was the um, mm, aid stations. stations, and as yep. you said, they were partic- 
particularly well done. Um, again, a little bit of a learning lesson. One of the things you got in your kit was a magnificent folding cup. Um, and they do, first race we've done where they say bring your own cup and they actually meant it. Um, and with so many people, quite worked it, it worked well. And so um, having done a lot of races where they say bring your own cup and then when you get to the first aid station they're providing them, we were sort of caught a little bit unaware. Um, took us a moment or two to get Find out. Find the cups. Once we were up and going, it worked, worked, it worked really the trick well, throughout. Yeah. It was a really good system. Um, and they had, something again, I haven't seen anywhere else in the world, the huge big um, water containers with pumps on top. Mm. So again, a lot of the races that we've done in Australia and the US, you have this notion of the little tap, and there's always a problem with getting the tap on or off, and which way do you turn it, and does it spin? Uh, none of that here. There's these magnificent pumps on top of, of the um, water barrels that just made it really easy and I think it was only really at one or two of the stops right near the end where you had to actually pump the water yourself which wasn't a big deal all the way uh, through the first half and most of the second half volunteers volunteers ready and yep. um, filled you up and got you on your way it sure. was magnificent they're great volunteers lots of them cheery and particularly looking to help each individual so I can't uh, I can't just find it on my file here but I reckon we were just under the 2000 metre climbing up and down through the first half and then just close to the three in the second half so puts it in the context um, and probably you know, but certainly the big climbs, the big two or three were in that second, second half, half yeah. um, so we got to about 60k before the sun went down Mm-hmm. Maybe a bit, bit beyond. A bit beyond. And uh, we had the most stunning view running across, and you want to help me with the pronunciation? She was at Ma On Shan. That sounds fine. Was uh, the big climb coming out of, not not far out of the 50k into the second half, and we got up just on top of that mountain. One, of, I think it's the third highest in Hong Kong. I'm happy to be corrected. Just as the sun was starting to set, and so some of the best photos we've taken running anywhere in the world, and certainly I think one of them was the num- greatest number of sort of likes and comments I've ever had from a photo. Uh, I had sort of yourself and a few of the others running across the the Dragon's ridge at the top of the the mountain yeah. as the sun coming down. It was quite. That in, that in itself was a magic moment worth worth the trip. Yep, and also it gave it, you know the photo gave the indication of the type of terrain we were travelling on, as well as the steps. Like there were lots of elements in that photo that really captured the spirit of this event. Now one of the things I think really stood out here, and uh, runner Mike is again someone we've seen a lot around uh, on the uh, marathon circuit, based in uh, lives in Hong Kong. And as he said to us, you know, you guys saw more of Hong Kong in a day than many people who live in Hong Kong ever see, and certainly far more than, than tourists. It's kind of like a whole different world of Hong Kong that you get to experience mm. here out on the trails, through these little villages, some old, um, I suppose they're old mansions or buildings that were sort of almost nestled in amongst the trees. Just quite, quite stunning scenery, wasn't it? Oh, yes, and, you know, coming across those little hidden beaches and bays and unexpected views that you had no idea exactly where you were and suddenly there was a lake or out to sea or just that different perspective. Um, Yeah, yeah, just a surprise all the time. So on and on we went uh, into into the darkness. Into the dark, Um, yes. Getting, I suppose we we had, uh, going through halfway, sort of had our eye on being finished before the, certainly well before the 20 hours we were hoping for maybe a 17 or an 18 um, I think you were starting to 
feel the, the strain a little bit. I was bit. starting to feel the strain of those stairs. So I thought I had fairly strong quads, but um, they were gone. So I think I think from memory we went through the um, through 50k in uh, around the eight hours, which gave us 12 hours to do the second half. Uh, even though the second half, which was a bit more hill and uh, a bit more, well, it's going to be in the dark a lot of it. So off we we headed, and again some stunning running, and and again wonderful checkpoints. Well, incredibly well uh, signed and marked the course. I don't think, I think you would have had to really drop the ball yourself to get lost. Um, and without sort of labouring the point, I think one of the the absolute highlights of, of where we've run anywhere in the world is just a shame we couldn't capture it on camera. But there's a one of the the mountains that you go up, one of the hills, was known as the Needle, kind of nice um, name for it. And we were going up there in the dark, and then you come down the Needle and then up what's known as a grassy hill. And as we were uh, about a third of the way up Grassy Hill, we had this stunning view of looking back towards the Needle and then up ahead of, uh, of where we were headed to. And all you could see was this huge procession of torches. Uh, runners torches, coming yeah. down one side of the Needle and then up uh, Grassy Hill. And just it was a shame didn't have the camera that was capable of capturing it, but it was just, uh, you know running into the Athens Stadium or across the Comrades finish line or whatever it might be, nothing quite as spectacular as mm. this, this view, basically down one side of one hill and, or mountain and up the other. Yeah, I mean, it was look, it was absolutely spectacular, but then also a reminder as a runner who was suffering that there was more up to come, <laughs> and there <Yeah>. was. <laughs> yes, it would be lovely to go back and do the last 30k in the daylight, um, yeah, just to see, because mm. there were one or two particularly we, we found really uh, tough going down but maybe if you could see where you were going it might not be yes. <laughs> scary it was it was truly truly magnificent uh, now the last 10k probably worth worth a mention that uh, with um, with three hours to go to, to get under the 20 hours when we hit the last 10k and the last 10k is is basically 5k up to uh, which is the highest mountain in, in Hong Kong as I understand it and of that last five, about three of it was trail, uh, and uh, I'll use the term loosely because in, in the dark as we were going, there was sort of um, no obvious patch in, in a trail to follow in some areas. You could have gone any number of ways, and all of them were, were a bit rocky and stuff. So that was a tough little that section. Tough. Um, and we were going slow, but not many people were passing us, which was a bit of an indicator of we weren't the only ones mm. um, struggling at that point. I think psychologically, it's like so close to the finish, you always can find that little extra percent to keep yourself moving. It uh, worked particularly well because you could see the um, top of the mountain was, was lit. There's like an observation centre up there. Uh, so 3K of the trail, then 2K of road, and then 5K downhill to the finish. And uh, the finish line was quite spectacular. And lots of people lining the road, um, waiting for you to come in. They did a great job and uh, you know, had the trigger there so that the, the announcer knew who you were when you were coming in. And of course, uh, crossing the finish line to pick up, in our case, uh, one of those, uh, you know, not, that, not that many people got them, the silver trophy in just over nine, not even 19 hours and five minutes or something yeah. around that sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, look, it was, it was very emotional and lovely of Steve, the race director, to go and get our bags for us. Yes. Said, Guys, just sit down, I'll go and get your bags for you. And he disappeared off into the distance, and I was very glad there was an extra 400 metres <laughs> that I did not have to cover 
to go and get the, those bags and come back. So, so, so one of the most, uh, aside from the trophy, uh, one of the highly sought after items is the uh, finishers hoodie. And this year it was a sort of a uh, a beautiful green. Yeah, an olivey olive green, I'd call it. Very nice, mm. and very wearable. Um, I was a bit nervous as being, you know, six foot two and a, a bit a bit taller than than uh, most. It it fits, but just. I, but I'm, you are I'm, the ever shrinking man. I'm not in the, I'm not in the <laughs> position to go and put on too many kilos, otherwise I'll I'll, I'll I won't fit it. But whilst I'm in reasonable trim, uh, it fits a treat and. Uh, there weren't many people as big as me or bigger in the field. Most people smaller, and so look, the the absolute um, the treasure of it is the the hooders, the finishers hoodie. Mm, definitely. Uh, they run a great system for uh, with bus going back to the main transport yeah, hub near, nearby. No public transport running in Hong Kong at that time, but you've got to actually get where you can find. I think the tra- I think the trains stop at just after midnight and start again at five. So depending on when you finish, the fast the faster people um, were able to get back and get a train, and the sort of the people who finished over twenty hours, pretty much by the time they got through, got processed, got their gear, and, and got back, they, the trains would just about be starting. But we were right in that that gap. Easy to get a taxi, and uh, at that time of the day, no traffic. Next thing you know, we were back in the hotel and having a nice uh, nice rest. Yes, not that, yeah, we did have a nice rest, just a, a short rest, but uh, not a huge rest. So, from a running perspective, I, you know, I'm still struggling to find a race that we've done that I would rank higher. Um, I, I wouldn't probably trade, you know, a couple of the comrades finishes for the, for this one, but I would put them on a par, and I would certainly say, you know, if you're if you're an all trail person, then this is the place to go. Definitely. If you've, uh, you know, you're thinking you're going to tick off the comrades then maybe do this one next or, or in vice versa order. It, it is a spectacular event and I can only see going from strength to strength. Yes, in fact, they're going to have to work out with their numbers how many they do accept on the trail and whether they stagger starts and how they actually work it because uh, once word starts getting around, it's only, what, the fourth year they've run it or the fifth? To my Something like that. Sync. So by the time we start getting up to the tenth year of this running of this event, uh, they're going to have to put even more of a cap on it potentially. Yes, it will be particularly hard to get into. So... Um Looking forward to going back, I hope, in 2016 and making it back to back, maybe shaving a couple of hours off, but if not, still in enjoying the whole the whole uh, wonderful experience. Now, Hong Kong is just uh, is a wonderful place to, to visit, and I suppose a lot of us visit have visited Hong Kong over the years for business, but never got out and about and seen what, you know, what the other side of Hong Kong is, which is what this race enables you to do. So um, there's lots of things to do, and, and I think we'll get on in a minute and probably talk about why, or oh, 10 good reasons to, to one, to do this race, and 10 things to do while you're in town. But before we do that, just I suppose to round off our story and our, our trip, I thought two things of interest. We, um, we went on and had just a couple of days in Macau, about uh, an hour's ferry mm-hmm. ride away, which is a nice little add-on. And uh, we just went there because we wanted to just sort of chill out, just find some nice restaurants and do a little bit of walking around. Mostly it's a sort of casino place, which wasn't really our interest, but we were interested in the history and we went to around the old town, which again was some good walking afterwards to to relax and do that sort of thing. Yep, definitely, and particularly at, at this time of year, it's kind of a good time of year to be touring or having a look at Hong Kong as a tourist if you haven't already because the weather, it's not hot. Uh, we had low 20s humidity really low um, just really comfortable weather for walking or running out in the hills yeah, I think we should just 
talk a little bit more about the weather because um, quite quite amazing that every almost to the person everybody that I spoke with um, said oh you know we're going to run in Hong Kong the the response was oh gee that's going to be hot it reminded me of of the Australian Outback Marathon where everybody uh, says oh gee that's going to be hot and of course the desert in the middle of winter is like down to about zero degrees uh, overnight very cool early in the morning and and, gets up to about 20 Celsius um, most days during the day and and Hong Kong in January is uh, is very similar in the sense that quite cool in the evening um, and as you said far from humid and, and actually quite pleasant very pleasant during the day in fact just at that level where depending on your hotel or where you're staying if you had a bit of sun you could sit by the pool in the sun but you wouldn't be overly hot and if you didn't have direct sunlight in a bit of a sheltered area probably Mm. not quite outdoor pool weather and the other thing about uh, this time of year it is one of the low times of the year for rainfall yep so you're less likely to get heavy rainfall you don't get those monsoonal rains and typhoons and storms coming through uh so really a good time to visit hong kong yep the other other thing with the race of course is that unless uh, you are at the very pointy end of the field the elite runners then you're going to be finishing in the evening uh or night or even the next morning and you're then you know because say a thousand meters up or whatever it, it is um you know we we had sort of fog mist long jackets um, it could be, can be quite cold up up there in the mountains uh, during the race so um, it's it's you know if you're thinking oh Hong Kong's tough conditions from a weather point of view then you're on the wrong tram and it's not a reason not to go and of course you know when we talk about all of these races there's always the risk that you know you're going to get a, a wet period or you're going to get a stormy period and but that's no different just about anywhere in the world but Indeed. general concept great weather for running and that's why they've got the race obviously at this time of the year yep no definitely okay so let's sort of uh, wrap this up a little bit um maybe just finishing off hopefully hopefully people have got the message about what a great race it is Mm. um the other thing with going to a a great event like this is whether you're traveling alone or with the family lots of other things to do to make a, a a trip for it hong kong is is kind of so well located for so many people in um, where they come from around the world that you can zip in for the weekend but you can also it's a destination where you can stay for a few days a week or longer and so probably our our take on it uh, our sort of top 10 things you might think about doing whilst in Hong Kong um, number 10 depending on how long you're going to be there you might do this as well uh, as the race, but you might say so the race ticks it off. And so number 10, Sue, is... Is to get out and check out the trails around Hong Kong. Uh, whether you're hiking, walking, or whether you'd like to go for a bit of a jog, check it out. Um, there is so much to see out the back of the city. Yep, so whether you're out on the Hong Kong Island, uh, we, a few years ago we did that little trail around Victoria Peak. Just mm-hmm. to, you know, sort of quite a friendly, up high, beautiful views. Hey. Uh, but then, of course, you've got the big four trails, and then you you know you can go out to Lantau. There's lots and lots of of, of places to run. Uh, number nine, which we we uh, we mentioned earlier, and this is for someone going as a as a runner, um, is to go and visit the racing the planet store. Uh, you know, an ultra runner's 
paradise, maybe say it. Um, lots of great products, lots of ideas, uh, and, and uh, expert staff to help you with all your things. Uh, something totally different, particularly if you've got the family. Just to check out Hong Kong Disney, and I suppose there's also Ocean Park, but Hong Kong Disney is, is the one to see. If you've only got one park to go to and uh, one amusement to check out, maybe not as big as uh, some of like California and those sort of areas, but hey, if you, you're not going to get there, this is a great place to catch Mickey and friends. Yes, uh, number seven is to uh, take a trip over to Macau, uh, whether it's for the day or uh, a night or a couple of nights, and so much to see and do there. Um, if you're uh, into the gambling and the casino aspect, well, then that's that's great. But you know, we spent two nights and three days there and didn't set foot inside a, an actual casino. We just uh, checked out the shops, mm. checked out the Portuguese old town, and the, the history. Tarts. Did, <laughs> did saw, saw a few tarts. Did the whole uh, walking around and just checking it out, checking and out the atmosphere. Lots of. Uh, Lots of great architecture and, and wonderful things to do. And don't forget to take your passport because you are into a different place. You are. Uh, number six on our list of things to do while you're in Hong Kong yeah. for the Hong Kong 100. Well, how could we not say shopping on Nathan Road? Check out the, well, amazing, extensive, seemingly never-ending Nathan Road and all of the shops, boutiques, department stores. Oh, it is a shopping mecca. Yeah, lots of places to shop in Hong Kong, not, uh, whether it's uh, at the Kowloon side or over on the, the island. But there's something special about Nathan Road. It's one of those great roads of the world. Yeah. And certainly to, to walk down both uh, during the day and also even more spectacular at night with all the lights happening. Um, number five is, is uh, if you've got a little bit more time, well worth the uh, the bus trip across, I think, uh, is the best way to get there, and that is to go across to Stanley and the Stanley Markets, seeing sort of the other side of the island. And uh, again, nice place for lunch or uh, maybe for dinner. Certainly lots to see and some, some shopping in the markets to be done over there. Yeah, and again, an, another glimpse of a different aspect of life for the residents of Hong Kong. Okay, number four, what are we going to do? What's our fourth top thing to do? Soon? Well, the thing that you can't go past seeing if you're in Hong Kong are the ferries. And the Star Ferry or taking a harbour cruise is a way to see this truly amazing city. Yeah, I think everyone's got to ride the Star Ferry once. Yeah. Um, two, the two quickest ways across, or the quickest way across from Kowloon to the island is, of course, to, on the MTR, and, and Hong mm. Kong has a wonderful underground train system. But the Star Ferry, cheap as chips, as the saying goes, and it's a great experience to zip across the harbour and um, explore the island and come back on the train or vice versa. And we'll just say that the public transport system in Hong Kong is brilliant with yep. the octopus card, so also and well it, worth using. And as you mentioned there, the, the harbour cruises, which uh, you know, there's lots of different things. You can go for dinner, you can go cruise around, all sorts of things. And the lights of the harbour, again, make it quite spectacular as, a, as an evening exercise. And again, can get quite cool out there depending on the time of year you're there, so take a jacket. Uh, third thing or third top thing to do whilst you're in Hong Kong for the Hong Kong 100 is get out to the Temple Street Night Markets. Again, one of those iconic, uh, known around the world uh, activities for Hong Kong and a good way to get out and haggle. Probably best done after the race, keep off your feet for but uh, is again is another great thing to do. Well, a couple of night, mar night markets, students there, the Ladies Market and a few other different places to go, but the Temple Street's probably the most well-known, yep. famous... Okay, uh, second top thing to do whilst in Hong Kong? Uh, visit Victoria Peak. This this is 
until we ran this race, I'd say visiting Hong Kong, this was one of the highlights of my previous visits to Hong Kong, was travelling up by the little cable car up to the top of Victoria Peak, checking it out, the views, um, and really, I suppose, also glimpses of other tourists, other people, um, but just some magnificent views and what better way to recapture a little bit of history too when you're up there. Absolutely, you can go up there and have a meal or just have a coffee or just have a look around. Um, and as you say, the, you go there by various tours, you go there by bus and of course going up on that uh, cable car or tram car is, mm-hmm. is spectacular. Uh, and last but not least, it's an easy thing to do, it's a cheap thing to do, but it's kind of really captures, I think, the essence of Hong Kong in lots of ways, and that is to uh, visit the Avenue of the Stars, both during the day and the night. And the Avenue of the Stars is along the harbour front on the Kowloon side, basically at the end of Nathan Road, walk across there, and you can sort of go from the Star Ferry Terminal, um, a kilometre or two along, and uh, the Avenue of Stars is all sorts of entertainment, people there, statues, things to look at. But most of all, what makes it spectacular is great views across the harbour to Hong Kong Island, both during the day and at night. Well, particularly when the uh, light show is going on the buildings opposite and over on Hong Kong Island, from looking across from the Kowloon side, you've got so many opportunities and to have wonderful photos taken and and great memories, of course, as well. Uh, So day and night, as you say, great place to check out. Now that's just uh, one short list of top things to do when you're you're in town for the Hong Kong 100, uh, assuming you're only there for a few days Um, but of course Hong Kong so much more to do, you can take tours into into China, you can um, explore the the museums, the art galleries uh, the the theatre, the music uh, the pearls, there's just there's so much, so much more. I go more. to Aberdeen and uh, so much more to do. But no, that's Bay, big tours. It's our ten top things. So on that note, Sue, so I think we probably should wrap it up. Um, and I think we'd have. To, I've been asked by a number of people, you know, since getting back from this race, we sort of uh, had some other things. So it's taken us a couple of weeks to sort of reflect before we got the chance to do the full review. But I'm struggling to name a race which. I think was better or a more wonderful overall experience than this one of of, uh, of all the ones we've done. Certainly, uh, I can't go, I can't come to the point of saying it's it's the number one, but I can certainly put it up there on a par with something like the Comrades Marathon as as uh, you know, one of the great running experiences that we've had. Mm. Yeah, great running experience, and to have it coupled with the destination as well, uh, just sort of add something. To it, and I think that that's what will stand out in my memory. That uh, so close to the city, and one of the biggest cities in the world, most bustling, and seemingly you've only travelled a very short distance away, and you feel like you're a world away. So it was that feeling of isolation in the middle of civilization, yes. which was really cool. As you said, yeah, incredibly well organised. Uh, Janet, Steve, the race directors, do, and all the volunteers and other other people working to make it a success do a great job. Um, and it is it's a you know it's not pretend it's not an easy race there are easier races around easier ways to get to 100 kilometers if mm. you want to um, and probably in that context we, you know we we're not the, the world's fastest runners by any uh, any means but you know to, to some context you know 11 
just over 11 hours we, we go around on a flat 100k we I did the Surf Coast Century in Australia in 12 hours 40 or something last September. The Great Ocean Walk in 15 and a half or whatever that was and then up to 19 here. So putting it in the context of 100k races, um, it's... Pretty tough. It's, um, yeah, it's tough but fair and well worth it every cent. So let's wrap it up by our 10 top reasons to sign yourself up for the Vibram Hong Kong 100 uh, Ultra, either if not if you can't get there in or you don't get in through the ballot for 2016, then keep trying and get in there for 17 and 17 and or 18. So, another 10 reason. Well, it's to see Hong Kong as not seen by usually tourists, the just average tourist, and to get into where a lot of the locals live. To get a new perspective. Yep, and I mean, I think it's, as one of the locals said to us, you know, you've you've seen parts of Hong Kong and angles of Hong Kong that people who live here never get to see. So mm-hmm. it is a spectacular way to see a wonderful city. Uh, number nine, um, it's the four thousand seven hundred plus or whatever the, the exact measurement is of vertical climbing and and the ups and downs that go with it. Just it adds to the. Uh, experience adds to the reward, adds to the satisfaction. And um, I know the, the Sunto uh, watch of people that uh, that I use the GPS, they give a suffer score for the different courses. Cool. And this was a suffer score of 700, which is, you know, up there. Up there. That's what I was going to ask. What does 700 yeah, oh, I mean, relate to? I mean, pretty good. Might, get, might make it up to 100 for a marathon. Mm-hmm. So, uh, okay. yes. So seven it, times harder than that, maybe. Whoa. It was a big one. Okay. Yeah. Um, Next one. Mm. The Hong Kong lights at night, and you know, if you haven't seen the Hong Kong lights at night, then you're really missing out on something. Big city lights just seem to stretch forever, and these are spectacular when you're out running to come across them. And I think I think the thing which makes them even more special is that you're sort of running up in the mountains uh, in the dark, you've got your head torch, no one else around, and then you go through one of the checkpoints and you sort of go out into the dark again and you come around the side of a mountain and the next thing you know, bang, there it is. It's almost like you're... Um, it reminded me of running through Kings Park in Perth in Australia where the park is so high up, you feel like if you stepped out off the park trail, you'd be into the, someone's apartment or office if, if, you know, on about the 34th floor of the building. And it's the same setting here as you come around the corner there um, in the dark in, in Hong Kong that just like all these huge big apartment buildings and and masses of lights down to the city and you feel like you you know you're sitting up there on the 30th or 40th floor just getting this most magnificent view so there's not many races that can get to give you something spectacular as that and particularly after you've run for i don't know what it was 75k or something when we reached that point mm. fair way in uh, maybe maybe a bit further okay um so that was our sort of eighth reason uh, counting them down to to our top reason Number seven. Uh, the excitement at the start. Now, you know, often there's a bit of a, you know, 10, 9, 8, 7, start at the, you know, trying to build up to the start. But the excitement of the start, of the start was almost palpable. You could feel everyone sort of raring to go and excited about heading off and not quite sure a lot of us what we were going to be in for as well. So there was that excitement of the run but also of the unknown. I think, I think also the, the, the excitement at the start was for a lot of trail runs, in particular a lot of 100k or 100 mile races, you know, the field isn't that big. 
And so you, you, oh, might, you might have 50 or 100 starters, or maybe 200. You know, if you've got more than 300 people in a, in a trail race, particularly the 100k trail race, you know, that's a pretty big thing. But to have like 1,600 people and coming from all around the world and, and sort of coming in all their different gear and their different costumes and their different languages and their different approaches, it really is quite a spectacular experience for a trail run. Uh, number six on our top ten reasons to run the uh, Vibram Hong Kong 100 would be... You've got to love the finisher's hoodie. And uh, we did tradition. speak about that earlier, that the finisher's hoodie is a quality product. Um, so apart from the fact that it just means a lot to, to have something a little bit different from a T-shirt or you know, something like that, it, it's a, a really nice hoodie. And I'm proud to wear it and pleased to wear it. I think it is when, when a race gets something unique, you know, whether it's a special belt buckle or a trophy or... Or as in Surf Coast, a mug. In, yes, mm. a, a, a big stein to put your beer in. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, the sought-after finishes hoodie. You know, you can't buy it, you can only earn it by getting out there and, and running, and it really adds to... So I think I've already heard people talk about what what colour, what designs are going to be next year. So mm. something that people look to be like the... Honolulu Marathon finishes. What's the colour going to be? What's the colour going to be? Okay, uh, the fifth reason, the fifth top reason to run in the Hong Kong 100 is the volunteers at the aid stations. And so about every 10k there's an aid station and you've got scouts, community groups, runners who aren't running on the day, all sorts of um, wonderful people coming along to help out, whether it's serving Coca-Cola or pumping the the water barrels to fill up your pack or helping you or whatever it might be, dishing out the food, uh, those magnificent sushi roll type things or the the biscuits, the sandwiches, you name it. Just the, the atmosphere and the support, they can't do enough for you. And in between helping you, they're cheering you and encouraging you as well. So big, big plus here for this race is the volunteers and the aid stations. And particularly, I may, must make note of the scouts. Now, you did mention the scouts, but it was almost like arriving into a... Well, someone likened it to a disco party that they had the music pumping they were cheering, jumping, there were little lights flashing and we got given those little uh, red envelopes with gold coins, well money, chocolate money inside them which is a traditional good luck gesture from the Chinese so it's a few little really nice touches there Okay, um, number four on our top reason and again this was one of those most mag- um, magnificent night uh, magnificent experiences and that of course was on Ma On Shan uh, at sunset up on the top of the the mountains just with the tops of the mountains rolling into the distance um, you captured some magnificent photographs up there as well but just almost eerie in its beauty and the serenity of the sky and uh, out at, with nature obviously also glimpses of the lights in the distance just as dusk was Yes, you look down and sort of see the the parts of the city and the ocean, but uh, all that sort of thing. So, quite quite spectacular. Um, number three on our top ten reasons to run in the uh, the Vibram Hong Kong 100 is the atmosphere at the finish line. We spoke about the excitement at the start, but the atmosphere at the finish line of uh, finally making it and having your name called and your country recognised as well as you came in uh, just added to that feeling of achievement I think from the runner's perspective as well and then being taken care of nicely 
yep. at the end. Yep. Particularly if you're struggling, you knew that there was medical help, assistance, chairs, everyone was looking to help you. Very, very wonderful finishing line. I wonder why, what a great way to finish. Uh, number two on our uh, reasons to run the Hong Kong 100, as we sort of mentioned earlier in our sort of review of this, the international community of runners, um, you know, truly an international race, uh, not just in, in sort of in name and claim, but they were there from all around the world, uh, all just sorts of different languages, um, all sorts of different approaches, different different levels of experience, quite a spectacular ringing together of people from everywhere just really added to the whole excitement, the whole way of doing things. Oh, definitely. Uh, and last, but but certainly but not least, uh, the number one reason to run the Vibram Hong Kong 100 is, Sue? The stunning views and the challenge of the course itself. So course, views, organisation, all put together into one magnificent package as yes. a race. I think, I think that's a good way to look at it, is really just what, takes it, what, what does it take to make a great race? Well, of course, it's got to be well organised. That sort of goes mm. um, for granted. But you've got to... Uh, just having a great course isn't enough. You need to the right people, the volunteers, create the the sense of belonging, the community, and then put it all together. But it, but it really does start with and added it adds to everything. It helps with everything else if you've got uh, a spectacular course and location as this one is. So there's uh, ten great reasons to run the Vibram Hong Kong 100. And so on that note too. Give you the maybe the, the final uh, your final thoughts on the uh, the Vibram Hong Kong 100 2015 and uh, maybe some th- thinking uh, anything else you want to say about encouraging people to participate in this event next year or the year after. Well, this is a race that is full of challenge, of interest, of beauty, but also for the runner, I think it offers something that many races don't, which is a lot of personal challenge um, whether you've run one 100 kilometre event or ten 100 kilometre events you'll find this a challenging course and you'll be asked to dig pretty deep within yourself which I think a lot of ultra runners like that personal challenge too so if you're looking for a personal challenge as well as a, a race that has everything that you could possibly want this is the one for you Okay, so on that note, uh, congratulations to uh, everybody responsible for organising and every, and well done to everyone participating and a special big thanks to all the volunteers, spectator, spectators, people cheering and uh, just making it into what, you know, what, is, what was uh, for us a memorable experience and as we said, something that we hope to uh, get back to next year and if, if not, if that doesn't turn out that way, um, very soon thereafter. So... Um, well done to everyone involved with the Vibram Hong Kong 100. You're listening to The Partner Running Show with your hosts, Couple on the Run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien. Proudly brought to you by PartnerRunning.com and The Partner Runner Magazine. The road ahead. Join us as we take a quick peek at a few of next weekend's running events. So what have we got this weekend, Sue? Well... We haven't got a huge amount and maybe just as well for people in in the north part of the USA as airports closed for snow again. But let's read out what is on. There is the Bergen Marathon in Norway, the Colville Connection in New Zealand, Cross Timbers in Texas, Cummins Falls in Tennessee, 
the Maple Leaf Indoor Marathon in Indiana, shot over Mid Moonlight Mountain in New Zealand, Surfside Beach in Texas, Thrill in the Hills Trail Marathon, Hyannis, which might be a struggle to get to at the moment, uh, Last Chance for Boston Marathon as well, uh, Pico Espadon in Spain, Della Terre Verdiane in Italy, Sevilla in Spain. Now, there's another one last one about last chance for Maritzburg City Marathon in South Africa. There could be quite a few comrades qualifiers trying for that one. Yes, I've seen quite a few people got their eye on that one. Yes. Uh, the Mercedes Marathon in Alabama. El Paso in Texas. Rwanda Challenge, a charity marathon. The Shelby Forest. Tokyo, one of the big six, one of the world marathon majors. And Malta as well. But one much closer to home and one that we will be on the road pounding the pavement in Wangaratta in Victoria in Australia. Yes, a very nice regional Australian race. A couple of hours from Melbourne City and uh, hoping it's not too hot. Yes, hoping it's not too hot. Talk about one extreme to the other with people cold in Tokyo and we'll be warm in Wangaratta. And we should uh, remind people that the uh, Dendi Park um, running festivals coming up on the 1st of March in Melbourne uh, for people looking for a, a wonderful community event. I think there's a, is it 4K or 5K? Is it? Yes. 10K, um, a half marathon, a marathon and a 50K. So something for the whole family, um, whether you're a, a, a gun marathoner or a, a first time 4 or 5K and just getting started or anywhere in between, something something there and it's a great Great day out, um, beautiful surface, well organised, mm, done on the trails, plus having. Okay, so thanks, folks. We'll see you next week on the Partner Running Show. Thanks, Sue. Bye. You're listening to the Partner Running Show with your hosts, Couple on the Run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien. Proudly brought to you by PartnerRunning.com and the Partner Runner Magazine. <laughs>